Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where we feature champions within their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that will inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to talk about how to get the most from your supply chain in today's environment, and we'll do that with Aaron L. Peter. Now, Aaron has loved all things supply chain since he knew what in the world it was. He got his degree in supply chain from uh, the Ohio State University and spent the first five years working for Unilever as, as part of their competitive uh, rotational program, where he worked with in a corporate factory and international logistics environment. He became interested in e-commerce and eventually left to be part of the founding team of the Hubble Contacts, where he led supply chain, customer service, quality, and regulatory before moving into several seat positions as both a full-time and a part-time employee at companies like the Farmer's Dog, Sustain Natural, the Flex Company, and Mirror. In 2018, he founded ISBA, which is an end-to-end supply chain consulting outsourcing technology company. And then this year, he launched a new SaaS company called Capable, which helps brands uh, in a fulfillment in fulfillment centers track how well they're meeting their fulfillment SLAS. Aaron is originally from Ohio, hence the school, and recently located from the New York metropolitan area to Charlotte, North Carolina, where he lives with his wife and his two fantastic children. Aaron, great to have you with us, sir. Thanks for having me, Bill. Now, a lot of folks have supply chains, or wish they did. So who do you serve in general? So at at ISBA, we predominantly serve venture-backed companies, typically just before, just after the Series A. We do a lot of stuff before then and as, as well as after that, but Really, what we do is we help companies operationalize their ambitions. That, that's how I define supply chain is it's, it's uh, yes, it is moving stuff and is producing stuff. But really, when I think about what supply chain is, it's the intersection between good ideas and ambitions and the physical world. Beautiful. I love that definition. That is fantastic. So uh, these people, newly funded organizations, they got a bunch of problems. But what problems specifically do you help them solve? So a lot of it can be, basically our clients fall into three buckets. Um, People who have never done anything before, and they just need to know where to dig, right? What to do. People who have a a significant crisis and and need something solved. And the last bucket with people who are scaling and are moving very, very quickly. And so we have a a pretty uh, robust offering. We're able to help each one of those groups of people. We do everything from advising to for, for pre-revenue startups or, or people who are just starting to helping to manage and outsource and scale the, the companies that people are running. So, you know, everything, we, we, what I would say is that there's always somebody who's going to be more expert in a specific area of supply chain than we are. We don't pretend to know everything about everything, but what we feel we are the experts at is putting it all together and doing that end-to-end supply chain piece. And so in my mind, end-to-end accounts for everything from planning and forecasting uh, to finding factories and managing factories, transportation, fulfillment, reverse logistics, those sorts of things. Okay, okay. So to help maybe our listeners understand uh, really how you go about solving this problem, perhaps you could 
tell us a case study out of your just out of your memory somebody that came to you well where did they come from how'd they find you what'd you help them with what was the end result Sure. So one company that uh, we've been very lucky to work with for several years is, is Mir. Uh, it's the interactive fitness display. And I, I've been supporting Mir for over three and a half years at this point. And uh, I'm technically the, the VP of supply chain there. And we joined uh, Mir just a few months after their public launch. And they really had built something to, to launch, not something to scale or to build. And so focused on building some of the basics putting basic planning infrastructure in place, understanding what we should be doing from a, from a forecasting or from a freight management perspective. And, you know, as, as companies such as Mirror start to grow, we look at this and say, okay, we know where the price breaks are. We know what sorts of uh, volume makes sense for carriers to care about or for factories to care about. And so we'll actually go to market and we will make sure that you are, are paying the right amount for your freight or for your factory. And then we'll help to, to look around corners. And so, you know, Mir's uh, a fantastic company and, and you know, proud of, of what we built together. But we've done everything from beginning and finding uh, that factory and scaling to being in the middle of COVID and, and kind of growing like a weed, moving into new factories, new infrastructure, going through an acquisition with a publicly traded company, and then scaling beyond there. And so what's, what's you know, unique about this is that we've been able to really bring our full resources to bear multiple people, multiple areas of expertise uh, in order to, to do what we need to do in order to, to service that client. It sounds to me like you guys probably operate in some sort of retainer model. Yeah, we've got a couple of different ways that we'll work with, with companies. Starting from the very smallest, uh, we have an advising option. Okay. And so this is uh, basically a, a subscription where you get access to our network, our expertise, our templates. And it's really a, a do-it-yourself option. And so I, I like to think of advising as kind of paid mentoring or consulting without much of a deliverable, where the brand is the one that's driving that agenda. From there, you know, usually things will transition into a project where it's a tightly scoped deliverable. It could be we need to find a fulfillment center. We need to find a factory. We need to fix something that's ailing us. We, we use that as an opportunity for both sides to figure out if this is a good fit, if we want to work together long-term. And then from there, we, we usually move into a retainer basis. Everything we do is month to month. We can rotate up, rotate down, bring different levels of expertise and experts to that company based on what they need. And what's unique about our model from, from other consultancies out there is we are constantly looking at this and saying, okay, as we stabilize companies, as we bring process there, how can we go, how can we save money for the client by bringing full-time people who work for the brand, who then report to us? and then ultimately find people who we would report to. And so our goal is really to, to scale that company and leave behind a very, very strong internal supply chain team when, once we're done. So do you guys take equity positions as well or earn equity positions, Aaron, or am I too deep in the weeds? No, historically we haven't. It's something that we've looked at. We, we want to make sure it's, it's the right fit, but uh, you know, it's, we certainly want to make sure that we are with our clients for the right reasons and, and you know, for the long haul. Okay, excellent. So you touched on this a little teeny bit, and that is differentiation vis-a-vis -vis your competition. No, but I know there's a lot of players. As you say, there are people that are more expert in certain areas. So maybe that's your deal. But, but so we got people listening to us. They've started the company. They're along the way. And they're thinking, you know, I need help because I don't really understand anything about Europe, for example. So you guys do. 
So tell us about how you're different from your comp- uh, the competitors out there. Sure, there's a few things that come to mind. Uh, the first one is that we take a technology first approach. We have a, a TMS, which we offer to clients. It's a tier one TMS that, that they get at a fraction of the price of what they get on their own. We have other solutions such as Capable, which we that allow us to, to do those, those best uh, practices. So that's the first thing is kind of a focus on technology and trying to do more than just sell labor per se. The second thing which we touched on was this unique model that we have of, we want to build your business with you and, and building your doesn't necessarily mean that you have a, an army of consultants forever. We, we understand that we get that. And so we want to make sure that our expertise is being used in the right way. You know, it is possible to go grocery shopping with a Maserati that, you know, a Maserati will work to, to go pick up uh, groceries, but it may not be the best thing that you need for those certain things. And so we're always looking at this and saying, okay, we have stabilized the situation. We have gotten things to be in such a repeatable way that the best thing for the client is to have somebody who is cheaper, you know, who can manage this on a day-to-day and give that, that day-to-day experience. And then the third thing is, is I'd say that, you know, the interesting thing about supply chain is that 85, 90% of the principles translate from one industry to another, right? That final 10% is, is really important. But what we're able to do is by being relatively industry agnostic, we're able to acquire expertise and experts who, you know, come from multiple different industries. And we get this, this amazing cross-pollination of people who, you know, have worked and owned apparel companies before, or people who have run consumer electronics companies before, or people who've run food companies before. And you're able to look at things in a slightly different way and say, yep, you know, we, we know that these sorts of things work well for everybody, but as we, as we dig down, we can find best practices, best suppliers, new things that are coming forward that uh, can cross-pollinate pretty easily. Okay, great. Okay, we've learned quite a bit. <clears throat> I think our listeners understand who you serve, the kind of problems that you help people solve. you got the three different tiers. Then how you actually go about delivering your services to people, how you're dramatically different than your competition out there. So we've, I think we understand enough to be dangerous, if you will. So what I'd like to do now, Aaron, is kind of switch a little bit and have you get on your uh, professor's hat and kind of walk us through your journey. In other words, how did you decide to leave the cushy corporate world and go out there and uh, risk it all? And uh, kind of walk us through your story. I know it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great one. It's got a lot of moving parts. But And as you tell the story, I'm going to, with your permission, ask a couple of deeper questions and get you to, to reveal some great secrets to us. No, absolutely. Um, I, I love supply chain. As you mentioned in the intro, I didn't always know what it was, but the idea of factories and moving things and, and just being able to make sure you have the right product in the right place, the right time, that's always been something that's fascinating for me. I studied supply chain at school at Ohio State. I, I transferred from another university and I asked, you know, what was the hardest major that you guys had in the business school? And they said, oh, supply chain. I said, what's that? Well, I'll transfer into that. If I don't like it, I'll go do finance or accounting or marketing or something like that. But I really took like it to like a fish to water and uh, was lucky enough to get into Unilever and just had a fantastic experience at Unilever and really thought that I was going to be there for 20, 25 years of my career. I I really have nothing but good things to say about Unilever. I, I, at the same time, I had this budding interest in e-commerce. This was the early 2010s. And you start to see these companies like Warby Parker, like Dollar Shave Club, like Harry starting to pop up. And I really felt that, that this was kind of the future. 
And so I, I knew that I wanted my career to, to dovetail into e-commerce in some way, shape or form. And I tried to network onto the e-commerce team that Unilever had. And it was kind of a catch 22 because they said, Hey, yeah, you're, you're great, but you don't really have any e-commerce experience. And so there's really no spot for you on the e-commerce team, but there's also no way for you to get e-commerce experience. And so th those sorts of things were kind of uh, cyclical. And, you know, so I, I decided to start looking around and I figured, well, maybe I'll consult or do something on the side just to, just to learn and, and to kind of figure those things out. And was introduced to the, the founders of, of Hubble Contacts through a, a colleague at, at work. And remember, we had dinner one night, and you know, the first time we met them, I said, so how do we supply chain? And it was like, oh, my goodness. And so we, we kind of talked for uh, about an hour or two, and, and they basically just asked, you know, do you, would you be open to advising us or consulting? And at the time, uh, we didn't have any kids. My wife was working on her MBA, uh, which meant that I had, I was watching way too much TV. And so I said, sure, I'd, I'd be happy to do this. And so I was able to, to build out Hubble from the ground up, you know, everything from how we think about inventory policy to going to Taiwan to help find and source the factories, finding the fulfillment centers, and just, you know, putting all those pieces together. And that really whet my appetite. And I recognized that Unilever was fantastic at many, many things but there are also areas that it could be better. And I knew that at that point that, that my destiny was really uh, in the startup ecosystem. And so you kind of fast forward, you know, I'm at a couple of companies learning and, and quite frankly, maturing quite a bit as you go from a, a big company to smaller companies and, and into the venture space. And I, I kind of had this idea for a while that, you know, a lot of startups need operational help. The, the, the expertise is in dire, dire shortage, but at the same time, they don't need it full time, hundred percent of the time. What I was finding was that I was going to these companies and I'd be really busy and really engaged for six or seven months. And then I would, I would fix things and they would just kind of work and they'd work like clockwork. You know, in the case of Hubble, you know, we, we launched in, in November of 2016 and four months later, you know, the company went from a 4 million to a hundred million dollar valuation. And even though we were adding tens of thousands of subscribers beyond what we expected, we didn't have a single inventory stock out. We were doing this with 30 days of inventory and the machine just ran. And I was spending eight hours a week managing the supply chain. And so I, I kind of had these experiences where I was like, look, you know, there is, is clearly a lot of uh, help that's needed. You don't need it full time, you know, and as the business changes, the expertise that people, you know, needs changes quite a bit as well. And so I initially decided to go out on my own and, and thought that I'd be a fractional COO is how I initially build myself. And, and that worked for a while, but from, you know, as we started to grow and added people really recognized that people needed a, a more holistic view. And so we've acquired expertise, people who have worked for freight forwarding companies or worked for domestic trunking companies, people who've owned their own businesses, people who've lived overseas. And we've really been collecting just the, the best, smartest, you know, enthusiastic people that we can find in this space. And, and we match them up with, with clients who we're excited to work with. So what were the, maybe the three biggest milestones that you remember during the course of building your, your businesses? Yeah. So I would say the first one was, was getting started right? Making the decision that, that you're going to do this and you're going to stick with it. I had a, a young daughter at the time and, you know, I didn't have another job to fall on. I was kind of all in on this. And for the first probably six months or so, there was a lot of trial and error and just trying to figure out, okay, 
you know, this sort of thing resonates with people, this sort of pitch, this sort of offering, this sort of business model, these sorts of price points, kind of playing with all those sorts of things. And, you know, there were a lot of times where it would have been easier to quit, right, to go do something different. At one point, I remember looking and saying, you know, Home Depot pays 15 bucks an hour. Maybe I could work at Home Depot for a bit if this doesn't uh, take off. And, you know, luckily, I, I have a fantastic wife who who believed in me and supported me. And, you know, I was going into the New York area, uh, in, into the city, you know, for 10 or 12 hours a day and just kind of talking to people. And getting, so I'd say the first milestone was, was, was keeping with it. The second milestone was making those first hires. We, you know, we, there's a decision to be made uh, after things had started to go well, where I, you know, was, was busy as, as much as I wanted to be. I had some fantastic clients. The revenue was, was pretty awesome. Um, and it was one of these decisions where it's like, okay, do I say no to more work and, and just kind of be a one-man shop and, and kind of control it that way? Do I hire contractors and, and just farm out the work that comes, comes our way? Or do we hire W-2 employees and try to build something that is special? And uh, we made the hard decision to hire W-2 employees. And so the interesting thing about going from a single person to having employees is, is you get paid last. And so, you know, people here, they are, are depending on us for, you know, to pay their mortgage, to feed their family, to, to pay off their student loans. And, and I take a, a huge amount of, of responsibility with that. And so the second milestone was, was deciding that we were going to build a firm and have, you know, actual employees that, that we wanted to build a culture around. And then I'd say that the third milestone was less of a milestone and more of a process where we really started to understand what it was going to take to expand the company beyond just my own expertise or my own personal brand to something that was highly repeatable and something that uh, people would would kind of go for. And there, there were a little bit, you know, a few milestones in that milestone along the way. One of them was when we got, you know, an endorsement from somebody who said, you know, ISBA does an awesome job. And it wasn't Aaron and his team doing an awesome job. It was ISBA does an awesome job. I was like, all right, yeah, cool. We did it. But really what it came down to was focusing on process and really taking a deep look to say, all right, what do we do well? What do we not do well? What's the standard of quality that we want to have when a company, regardless of its size, you know, interacts with ISBA? What does that, that business uh, sales cycle look like? What does the SOW process look like? What does the, the, the actual you know, engagement or, or post-delivery process look like? And so we spent a lot of time you know, making templates, making course corrections, in order to get to a point where the product that we put out is easy for our new employees to, to grasp and understand, but then it's also a consistent uh, experience for, for our clients. So what, what was your biggest mistake, setback, stumble that you can remember? And then also, what did you learn from, from, from those, uh, from now that, that issue? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many I could go into. I, I'd say that I've made, I've made, probably made more mistakes than I have success at this point. You know, and I, I look at mistakes as they're very rarely are there things that I would say, I wouldn't do this again, because I, I look at it as, as it's, it's tuition that you're paying for figuring things out. And so just a couple of things that we've learned along the way is, you know, the importance of having very, very tightly scoped SOWs when we first start out with somebody, right? We, we know that we can do everything, but if, you know, we need to make sure that there's really good alignment with the client and with our team for what they need us to do and what the success metrics look like in order to make sure there's not a misalignment for how much work, how much effort, you know, something's going to take. You know, I also think too that, you know, if I could do it over again, I would probably, you know, start this with having a couple of co-founders. I've got a fantastic team. I've got people who, you know, I really trust and we've, we've been able to 
let them run and own things. But, you know, it can be very lonely, um, you know, at, at the beginning when you're going through things and, and trying to figure that out. So that's, that's you know, things that I've, I've learned to the importance of delegating, the importance of being transparent, the importance of, of making sure that you give people the space that they need to learn and to grow, but also the structure and the support so that you, you recognize when they're about to fall and you're not just picking up the pieces after they've fallen, but you're catching them and making sure that there's a soft landing and that it's not a, a big issue for either that person or, or the client. So tell us a bit about your management team, your management structure. So uh, what, what sort of players do you have now, today, and uh, what are their areas of responsibility, Aaron? Sure. So with, with the two businesses that we have, with, with Capable and ISBA, I basically fill this chairman role. I'm heavily involved okay. with both. But, you know, on the ISBA side, we have a general manager, somebody who has just fantastic experience, has been in the corporate environment for 35, 40 years, uh, worked at Eli Lilly, worked at Fibro, and has just done, done a, a great job and just has this, this fantastic experience and clarity that he brings to the business. You, you know, his role is is really about the business. It's it's about making sure, you know, bills get paid on time. You know, we have the right business processes in place for, you know, finding clients and, and making sure they're a good fit. And the actual consultancy is managed in pods. So we've got fantastic pod leaders. These are our most senior consultants who not only support very important clients directly, uh, but they have a, a, a small portfolio of other people who they're responsible for developing and for, for taking care of. And so we've, we've you know, just recently kind of worked out the kinks with this structure and we're able to, we've, we feel that we have a repeatable process to grow and to add you know, several, you know, several pods in a moment's notice as the, the employees and the workload dictate. Excellent. I like that pod idea. So the all each a pod leader, manager, whatever that person might be, reports to your GM in that company. That's correct. Okay, good. So then tell us about your software company. What's the, how's that how's that managed? Yeah, so still infant days there, but uh, you know, what we found was that as a consultancy, particularly on fulfillment, we were solving the same problems over and over again. We had a lot of brands that would reach out and ask us to help them find a fulfillment center or to fix the relationship with their current fulfillment center. And fulfillment centers are really important, right? They are, they are the end of the row and they're that intersection between a brand and, and you know, their, their ambitions, all those sorts of things and the end consumer, right? If, if you have a bad fulfillment experience, you have a bad customer experience and that can reflect negatively on the brand. Well, what we found was that we were working with, with dozens of brands and that they were very interested in negotiating the service level agreements or the SLAs during the contract portion of it. And there would be a lot of uh, wrangling and say, you know what, we like this fulfillment provider because they're going to promise that 98% of our orders are going to go out next day if received by noon. And this other one's going to say it's 95% if received by 2 p.m. And so they're really splitting hairs on these sorts of things. But what we recognized was that after the contract was signed, there really wasn't a good way to manage those SLAs to see how they were complying with the contract. And so what we found was that one of three things was the first one was that the fulfillment centers were spending their labor or their development resources to come up with a scorecard and to say, you know, this is how well we are fulfilling on time. And uh, a lot of our brands were looking at the sites and saying, hmm, I see that your scorecard is green and, and looks like it's good, but I don't know if I can really trust you. 
right? You're, you're effectively grading your own test. And so they kind of would discount that, that, that effort. The second option would be that the brand would spend their labor to create a scorecard. And not everybody is, is as equally savvy, you know, with, with Excel or with the intricacies of, of, you know, fulfillment ops. And so, you know, to take into account time zones and holidays and all these sorts of things, it's kind of a nightmare for the fulfillment centers because they, they effectively, you know, have dozens and dozens of different versions and methodologies they have to go through and work through. And so what we found was that most people just didn't measure these things. And so you, you think about the most important part of a contract, actually getting things shipped out on time correctly and, you know, at the right price, nobody is measuring this. And we started to, to build products internally and, and to, you know, do this for some of our clients. And we had fantastic results. There was you know, one brand, you know, went from 65% compliance after we made an internal scorecard up to 99%, just because we were able to measure it and we were able to have a good conversation with, uh, with providers. But you know, most people aren't measuring this and that it basically means that, that you have brands that for better or for worse, tolerate perfection and the fulfillment centers that are doing a good job don't get, um, they don't get recognition for doing well. And so we, we kind of stepped back and said, okay, this, this seems like this is a problem. We are solving this for all of our clients. Could we do this in a better way as a standalone product? And so, you know, today Capable is a fulfillment analytics. We, we provide scorecards and, and other visualizations around performance. And there's five core KPIs of a fulfillment contract. Today we measure on-time fulfillment and order accuracy. We're going to be launching invoice accuracy this summer and looking at uh, receiving an inventory accuracy this fall or early next year. Excellent. Congratulations. It sounds like a good project off to a good start. Now, is there a total overlap between the two companies relative to customers or does, or, or does the software company look like it's going to bring in some brand new business for you? Yeah, so they're, they're separate entities completely. Common ownership structure, but they're, they're completely separate. Um, we, we hope that the clients who are working in ISBA will find value and capable, but there's no you know, they don't have to, right? They don't have to use Capable to be a client of ISBA. And similarly, we, we hope that brands that, that may need help who are using Capable will consider ISBA for those sorts of things. But yeah, they're, they're meant to be run completely independent just with the common ownership structure. And to the extent that we can refer brands to Capable, we're, we're doing that. Okay, excellent. So what's holding uh, you back right now? Oh, man. Um, you know, I think on the, on the ISBA side, we're always on the hunt for, for awesome people. We are consistently hiring. We, we kind of hire one or two people every month, it seems like. And, you know, we are a great place for people who are looking to accelerate their career. You know, I take a pragmatic view that I, I, I know that most of our employees probably aren't going to retire from ISBA. And we've got a great track record of alumni who have, have left, who have founded companies themselves or are leading uh, fast-growing supply chains themselves. And so, we are, we're a great place for people who are coming out of a fortune 500 and have expertise and want to get into startups or people who are looking to, uh, you know, round out their expertise. Cause we really look at this and say, okay, regardless of if you are relatively new or you're seasoned, you know, our clients want people who can think end to end and can think strategically. And so we're really there to, to help them uh, with that. And so I'd say on the ISPA side, it's, it's people. And then uh, on the capable side, you know, it, it's still early days. And so we are offering a, a free trial uh, of Capable for anybody who wants to give it a, give it a shot. And uh, yeah, we're, we're really excited where this, this program is going. Okay, great. So talking about free trials and things, how, uh, Aaron, how can our listeners get a hold of you? 
Sure. So LinkedIn is, is the best way. I'm, I'm all over LinkedIn as well. But if you want to send me a note, my, my email is aaron at izba.co. To, to get in touch with, with ISBA, we, have, we do offer free supply chain audits. So just go to the website, izba.co, and uh, follow the prompts there to, to get set up with a free audit. And then on Capable, C-A-P-A-B-L.co. And uh, we've, you can sign up uh, right there on the website for a free trial, uh, one-click integration with Shopify. And uh, we're happy to, to onboard you and, and get any feedback that you have. Excellent. Excellent. Beautiful. So I've asked you quite a few questions, but maybe not all the questions you were thinking about. So what's the one question that you were thinking I might ask, Aaron? And then what's the answer to that question? Well, one question that I get asked all the time is, when is supply chain going to get better? Right? That's, that's kind of been the boogeyman for the last uh, 18 months or so. And you know, the, the one thing that I would, I would just share with your listeners here is that, uh, you know, supply chain is not any one thing and it's, it's not any one industry. It's, it's really unique to every company, every brand, those sorts of things. You know, there, there are companies that have good supply chains and there are companies that have bad supply chains. And it really comes down to the decisions that you make in the design because roughly 80% of the headaches that you're going to have as a business come into the suppliers that you choose, where you plan on producing your product, where you plan on selling, how you end up, you know, plan on doing those sorts of things. And so, you know, whether you look at the chip shortage, you know, there are car companies that are getting around the chip. There are car companies that are not. Uh, you look at, you know, infant formula and, and baby formula. There are companies that are able to produce infant formula. There are companies that cannot. And so, you know, when you look at, at supply chain in aggregate, um, what I think it's become is it's become this really convenient scapegoat, right? When, when somebody didn't plan well, or they made a, a, a poor decision, or they're dealing with the consequences of it, it's really easy to say that we're having supply chain. But the you know, astute person will ask and say, well, specifically, what's the issue? What are you looking at? And uh, if they say, well, there's port delays, and it's really difficult. Well, the decision that led to those port delays being a problem is the fact that you chose to locate your factory you know, overseas. If you located your factory in North America, that again, that's a design decision, no port delays, or at least not to the same extent that you would be having elsewhere. So that, that's kind of just one of the common things I'll get is just that, you know, supply chain is, is an important step, but you should always ask three or four questions as you go deeper. That's beautiful. I, I like that. I also love the fact that you said 80% of the problems are in the design. That was beautiful. Thank you. So everybody, look, in closing, and Aaron really nailed this really hard, and that is this. Our businesses do not become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as a result of the owner first learning and then applying a proven combination of having the right mindset of a dedication to a system of management, and number three, leveraging high-performance teams. So thanks once again for listening. Aaron, thank you very much for sharing your expertise expertise with us today, sir. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.